and welcome to Hoop Collective Podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we are doing in the wee hours of Monday morning after a very full day in the NBA on Sunday. This gentleman from Manscaped, Mark J. Spears, was at one of the big games on Sunday where the Nuggets came in and beat the Golden State Warriors, a game he attended at Chase Center in San Francisco. But he's now across the bay in Oakland. Mr. Spears, how are you? Oh, man, I didn't have enough time to get my late night beverage. I was going to crack a bottle or something, you know, but I felt like if if, if I can't share it with my brothers, then it, it wouldn't be right. Well, here's the thing. Our man here, Mr. McMahon, who we'll discuss in a second, he's not much of a wine guy. You know, I'm not sure he could tell the difference between red and white. He's uh, he's a whiskey likes the hot. He likes the hops. He's an old school, simple man. He likes a good beer. And that's uh, where I'll start with Mr. Ben McMahon from Dallas, Texas. Howdy, partners. I would love to take a uh, trip over to the beer fridge and crack one open. But I don't think I quite have the kind of. You know the the kind of pull that you do, Spears, where I might be able to get away with such a thing. So what, what, you're at home. I know, but I can't. I can't drink in pod. Come on, man. Why? I listen. Like I said, I'm I'm not you're one who can take those. I'm just saying. What do we think I, here? We should. I mean, I mean, on ESPN, no way. This is ESPN two. Well, I think I think I get myself in enough trouble running my mouth without the aid of uh, some IPAs or. Logger, so but you're, you're not even it? driving, you're at the crib. <laughs> I am at the crib. Do you think that you literally, if you had f- four or five gulps in the, in this next 45 minutes to an hour, that it would impede your ability to uh, are you are you telling me you want me to go to the to the fridge? I don't know, maybe we need a ruling on this. I mean, it's very late at night after a long weekend of work. Yeah. What's the ruling? I don't know if I'm allowed. Like, I don't know if this, if it, if it would be a violation of company policy. I think That's you're my thinking concern. Too hard, man. There's no podcast rules. <laughs> see I need some clarification on that. <laughs> I got, I, hey, I got a daughter starting college next year. I can't be taking these kind of risks. All right, Jackson. What's 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 the ruling on this? What do you think? Do you, do you think man that- got fired for drinking a beer at his own house? Come <laughs> on, bro. You're thinking too hard. Jackson is not ruling in. He does not want it on his. Uh, no, Jackson's like this ain't my responsibility. I'm drinking his pay grade. I'm drinking water provided to me by um, oh, the, the Marriott water. ESPN. <laughs> I know I was refilled here at ESPN because I reuse my plastic bottles because I'm a well, good person. How responsible of you? Yeah. 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 All right. Well, I thought we were going to appreciate it. I thought we were going to get him to drink some beer spears but it looks like he's not going to do that. i wouldn't have been scared man if i had time i'd give me a glass of wine um. <laughs> all right well the night is still young anyway spears uh you, i know uh mr joker you, you know, nikola Jokic mm. likes uh, a good uh wine and spirit after a good victory he might have been cracking one open after they came back and beat the uh warriors and i'm just going to be honest here like warriors have been playing better and they got a lot going their way and there's big news this weekend with steve kerr Got a uh, two-year, um, $35 million contract uh, to extend his deal past this season. But the Nuggets own the Warriors. They yes. have beaten them, I think, seven or eight seven times straight. in a row. Swept the season series the last two years. And look, regular season basketball is is what it is. But this was a game that the Warriors came in playing really well in. And it would have been a good thing for them with their sort of new style and you know, new lineup to to show themselves that they could handle the Warriors, especially on their home court, and especially um, handle the Nuggets, and especially the way 
the, the last meeting went back in early January when they blew that 18 point second half lead yeah. and Jokic banked I it in from too. half court. But that's not what happened today. The Nuggets took it to them and and had a very impressive win. Well, and the interesting thing was the you know the the Warriors had a great start. Clay was amazing in the first half, and then about midway through the second quarter, I I turned to another writer to the, my right, and I'm like, so when are the Nuggets taking over? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, when is it happening? And they go on this like 14-0 run, what 14-1, 14-0, something like that, to finish the second half, and then Clay was magical in the first half and didn't score in the second half, and then Joker was just absolutely obscene. Like I'm, I'm just looking at his stats as we're, as we're going along, and I'm and I'm like, acting like a kid who just, you know, like just sitting there, you know, one of those statistical nerds who's just like, uh-huh. I'm like, that's his fourth assist, that's his fourth steal, and he's on my fantasy basketball team, so I keep getting up. Oh, I see. Oh, you're doing well. Yeah, he's, uh, I'm in first. What did he go? Thirty-two, sixteen, sixteen with four steals. I mean, come and on. And a block. Right? Everything counts and, and a block. No, nah, I mean it's 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 just sickening what what he did, and you know they're trying to dra- you know put Draymond into it and <laughs> to it guard this guy, and, it, and nobody can guard him. It man. doesn't matter. Anthony but Davis, sixteen assists, bro. Sixteen assists. Sixteen and, assists. Like, come on, man. Four steals, and it and he just makes it look easy. And you know, you said you're kind of just waiting for the Nuggets to take over. Like, okay. When are Joker and the Nuggets getting rolling? And yeah. honestly, that's kind of how the season feels too, right? They yeah. come out of the All Star break and like they coasted into the break. They lost three straight. They're sitting there in fourth place in the West, and you still kind of feel like, okay, are the Nuggets going going to like stop hitting the snooze button? Are they going to take this seriously? They come out of the break in the three games since the break. Joker has eighty two points. 50 rebounds, 45 assists. The only other person in NBA history to go 80, 50, 45 over three games, I'm pretty sure you can guess who it was. Like it's anytime there's the only other person, it's always Wilt. Right. It's always Wilt. Yeah. But that's what Joker's doing. Dude, the guy's put up monster triple doubles in the last three games. Yeah. Coming straight out of the break, he had a, he had a, what was it, like 21, 15, 15 without missing a shot from the floor. 10 of 10. And the thing is, like, you hear a lot of the the MVP talk, and I'm in Dallas, so I'm hearing a lot of, it's got to be Luka, it's got to be Luka. And my thing is, look, you can make a good case for Luka. You can make a good case for SGA. You can make a a decent case for Giannis. You can't – they all have decent cases that that they're having MVP caliber seasons. You can't make a case that they're having a more valuable season – than Joker, who is just clearly the best player in the NBA. And does everything. I mean, can't jump over a piece of paper and just, you know, I, I saw him, I think, I, Brian, I told you this, I saw him in the Hoop Summit, you know, when he was coming into the NBA and it's like, this guy can't jump, but he just, he passes like Kevin Love, he, he can shoot the ball, he, he, he just, yeah, I, I saw something incredible then, but you know, everybody else, and including myself, saw this portly guy, and they're like, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know how this translates. And when you look at where he got drafted, right? He got drafted yeah. I mean, they drafted him to be a forty-first, right? I mean, like, yeah. Just to be his clear, his story's like, pretty incredible, man. Right. I mean, they drafted him in the same draft that they drafted Yusef Nurkic, yeah, who they took in the lottery, 
And so they drafted Nurkic to be their franchise center and they drafted Jokic to be his backup. Maybe, you mm-hmm. know, maybe he makes it, maybe he doesn't. Um, but, you know, one thing I'll say about this game, obviously Jokic was great. I think you might've talked to him after the game. Yeah. Um, but Jamal Murray. Now I think one of the interesting things with Denver is Jamal is he's been dealing with this for a few weeks now, and it's now pretty clear. He's got essentially shin splints. Yeah. Um, tibia inflammation is what um is what the nuggets are calling it i don't like bones being inflamed i don't like that uh that's my uh unofficial opinion um not good when bones are inflamed i didn't know bones could get inflamed but you when you get you get worried about anything with a tibia because you don't want to have it be a broken tibia so yeah they're being careful with him about workload. And that's something to monitor the rest of the season. And also uh, in the playoffs about whether he can stay out there. But here's what I'm going to tell you when he plays this year, the nuggets are 30 and 12. Yeah. Okay. Wherever they are in the Western conference standings. And I know that they've backslid a little bit and they've been a new and fourth after the break. They're nine and seven when he doesn't play. So, you know, there's some things about the Nuggets. Their defense hasn't been as good this year, although it's very good in clutch situations. Yeah. Um, they have, you know, once again, been sort of average on the road. Coming into the game on Sunday, they were only two games over 500 on the road, and that was obviously an excellent win. But um, they were 17 and – I think they were 22 and 5 at home and like 19 and 17 or something on the road. So, you know, you would think a team that – would benefit despite their um their their experience in DNA, they would benefit from getting, you know, a better seed in the playoffs. And but then you see that number and see 30 and 12 and you see how Jamal Murray played today. I mean he got declared active within 20 minutes before the game. Uh, he was questionable up until then. And he goes out there and has just a masterful game. I think he had 27 points. He had um, some assistant rebounds, and I think he was plus 18. You know, yeah. he and Jokic doing that. And so the thing about it is, Spears, like I don't know what Jokic said after the game to you, but if Murray's healthy and Jokic is playing, I mean, everybody else might, might just be messing around. Even a team like the Clippers, who I think very, very highly of. You know, I, I also talked to Murray after the game, and we we talked a lot about his like mental strength. And I kind of asked him, I'm like, is, you know, injury is basically your biggest opponent. Kind of smiled, maybe snarled a little bit about that. Um, but he, he, that's to me, that's his biggest opponent. And he just, I thought he was outstanding in the playoffs, but the like aura of Joker is so huge that yeah. this is probably the most underrated number two player in the league. You know, I asked him about, not being an all-star, having having never been an all-star, and obviously he's had these injuries, and he's like, I know I'm better than a bunch of guys that were in the game. I know this. I, I don't need to go to this game to to prove that. And he was actually at a UFC fight in Anaheim. <laughs> surprise, surprise, right, during all-star weekend. Um, but you're right, man. Like, even as amazing as Joker is, he needs the Robin. To his Batman, right? He needs him to be healthy for them to win. And I think Murray, even with the championship, he still laments 
on all the time that he missed in the postseason. That could have been something special. But he has a ring. Um, he's trying to fight through it. I think Malone's trying to be smart and just kind of get him ready for the postseason. But, you know, playing 36 minutes tonight with such an injury is pretty significant, and, and he was outstanding as well. And shin splints are painful, and the only way to get rid of shin splints is to rest. Um, last year, the Nuggets had the luxury of resting their main guys down the stretch, and Joker basically decided he didn't care about the MVP. They took their foot off the gas. They had a comfortable lead for the number one seed in the West, and they were able to just coast down the stretch of the season, make sure all their main guys were fresh going into the playoffs. They're not going to have that luxury this season. Um, it's probably going to be a scrap down to the finish for the the order of the seeds, One, maybe even one through four. But certainly, I think at the top, it's going to be uh, a scrap. So they might have to, at some point, make the decision. Is it more important to have um, Jamal Murray as healthy as possible or to get the number one seed? And, yeah. you know, as far as him never being an all-star, I don't think there have been seasons where he was snubbed in favor of a less deserving player because the All-Star is based on the regular season up until that point. Now, I do think if you look at the, the All-Star games, you can say, hey, you're going into a playoff series. Would you rather have Jamal Murray or this guy? And it's going to be Jamal Murray on many occasions. Mm -hmm. And for a while, people talked about Bubble Murray. It is playoff Murray. It is, it, yeah. It's not a one-time fluky situation, and he proved that without a shadow of a doubt last year when he played at a legitimate co-superstar level throughout a championship run. Yeah, I mean, I will say that we're going to end up getting tired of talking about the changes in the order in the Western Conference. It's so tightly packed. So, for example, on Sunday, Dallas lost for the first time in literally weeks, right, McMahon? It had been like yeah, three weeks. Seven-game win streak got snapped. They got uh, beat up in Indy by 20, um, and they fell from fifth in the West to eighth. <laughs> Golly. So, yeah, and, and, and if the Kings would have lost, they'd have finished the night in seventh. <laughs> yeah. Right. And but meanwhile, the Kings, they're in fifth now. The That's Kings funny. won. No, no, they're in eighth now. Oh, yeah, you're talking about the Kings. The Kings, by the way, won their third straight game on Sunday night in LA against the Clippers. Um, and they're battling back. So, the box of chocolate kings, man. I, I, I keep talking to Mike Brown about this. I he, he can't figure them out. I think the great thing about their win about uh, over the Clippers is they're finally playing to like the level of their competition. Like that was a huge win. But then they'll like the Kings will like beat the Clippers and then they'll beat Denver and then they'll like lose to Portland or San Antonio, right? Like or lose to Memphis on the road. Like I. They they are probably the most confusing team in the league to me right now. But yeah, well, they, the Kings of, will tell you that their record now is still better than it was at the All-Star break a year ago. That's true. But I would just say like they were in a position where literally every other team in the top 10 in the West was playing better than them for like 10, 12 games. Mm -hmm. yeah. And they had to put the gas down. They were going to get lapped. And so... They have, they've won, they've won three games in a row and they're still, um, you know, in fifth place by a half game. If they, if they had lost tonight, so they, they go to, they wake up at the beginning of the week on Monday in fifth place because they had that big win. 
had they lost the game, as you mentioned, they'd, they'd have been the team down in eighth. Yeah. So um, it's just going to be this way for a while. And, you know, Denver is in that. You know, there is a pretty big gap in between the fourth seed and the fifth seed in the West. Um, yeah. Denver hit the break at four, but they're a game and a half out of one. And those five and six spots, too, man. Gosh. Yeah. So, yeah. and you know, we've talked about the difference between five and six, guaranteed a playoff spot. Yeah. And seven and eight, where you're facing Damn. a really good team in that game. And then you're facing either the Lakers yeah. or the Warriors with your season on the line if you don't win seven, eight. I mean, it is the difference between six and seven right now is a tiebreaker scenario, but those seeds is such a massive difference yeah. uh, as far as your outlook. In mid-April. The other thing is the schedules are all over the board. So the Nuggets have the fifth easiest schedule the rest of the way. If you're a Suns fan, and if you're a if you're a diehard Suns fan, you probably already know this. But if you're a Suns fan, and we'll talk about the Suns in a minute more fully about their victory they had on Sunday against the Lakers, you've got to you have no time to waste. And the reason is that the Suns schedule at the end of the season is as vicious of a stretch as you'll ever see. And so that's one of the things that you look at when you're trying to figure out where this is going to go. These, these standings is just who's got the tougher schedule. So if you're a Suns fan, like you have to almost think you got to win almost every home game the rest of the way you've you're already fighting to me for the Suns in, you know, quasi must win games because when they get to this schedule, which I'm going to read to you now, they're just flat out going to take loss. I mean, unless they're red hot, they're going to take losses. And Bradley Beal is still not back with the hamstring. Yeah. And, you know, Bradley and, worked out like right after the All-Star break. He had his nose surgery. So he was going to go to like Turks and Caicos, some, or maybe the Dominican Republic. He was thinking about either place, but then he had his nose surgery. He worked out last Wednesday. And there was a lot of optimism that he was going to come back Thursday. Like that was the expectation. Um, and not only did he not play Thursday, he has, hasn't played since. And it's just, I know from, you know, doing a diary with him, this has been an excruciating season for him, very frustrating season for him. And he's, you know, when he, when he plays, I mean, he's, he had a 43 game this month against Washington. He had a 30 game versus Utah, like, he could cause damage, but I they, they got to get used to him being on the floor. He's got to be there, and they're certainly missing him, and, and it, it's had a, a, a huge effect on on their record and what the Suns are doing right now. Yeah, well, I know you've been doing a diary that you mentioned with him on Anscape. Um, I'll be interested to see the next entry because I think he cut his workout Sunday a little short, his pregame workout. So yeah, not sure why he cut it short, but he did. I don't know if that's good news or negative news or neutral news, but um, I'm going to tell you the sun. Uh, I'm going to guess it's not good. No. More Hoop Collective podcast after this. So I mentioned earlier about the Suns. They had a big win over the Lakers on Sunday. Here is the schedule that the Suns have, and this is actually <laughs> instructive to anybody who is competing with positioning for the Suns as you consider where they're headed. Before I say this, I want to just point out that obviously their health is going to be more important than schedule and Beal's health, especially right now. So this begins in the end of March. They have, they have a, a baseball series in San Antonio, which you'd hope that they would take care of business. Although you remember they lost that game to the Spurs earlier this season when Wimbenyama had a jaw dropping game. 
Starting March 27th, here is the Spurs' final nine games of the season. At Denver, at Oklahoma City, at New Orleans, home to the Cavs, home to the, to the Wolves, home to the Pelicans, home to the Clippers, at the Clippers, at the Suns, on the last day of the season, at the Timberwolves. Wait, who, the second to last one's at the who? At the Kings. Sorry, mm. at, the, at the Kings. Mm. 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 Now, you tell me how you think that gauntlet is going to go. <laughs> I mean, you know what? I think that depends on how the Suns are playing. Like they are, the Suns right. are capable of playing at an elite level if they're completely healthy, if their three guys are are in a groove. But likely, it's going to be a, a four and five type of stretch. And I tell you what, those two games against the Pelicans, I mean, put a double asterisk on those because those probably decide a tiebreaker. They already have lost a tiebreaker to the Mavericks, and like you said, they better get some work done. Uh, before that final stretch, because if if they're if they're not in comfortably in, in fifth or sixth by that point, they're probably looking at a play-in trip. And by the way, the other thing about a play-in is you're adding more minutes, more high-stress minutes on a team that has a couple of older superstars and and three star or three stars who have all had durability issues. Okay, but yeah. let's talk real quick. About, okay, go ahead, Spears. Sorry. No, I'm listening. Go ahead. All right. So put, putting that aside, they did have an excellent win on Sunday, beat the Lakers. The Lakers have um, lost their mojo a little bit coming out of the break. Um, the offensive machine that they were over the last 10 games or so going into the break has cooled off, <clears throat> and their defense hasn't been as good either. But really, that offense was powering their run. They did shoot the ball well in Phoenix, but – the reason that the Suns won the game is because, in my view, is because Royce O'Neal and Grayson Allen combined to go like 12 of 20 on three. Mm. When you have those sort of swing players deliver at that level, it's going to be really good. And I think the thing is you're counting on those guys to carry a heavy load without one of your star players. But that's why they won the game. But that wasn't what was amazing. What was amazing was Durant, Kevin Durant having a post-game <laughs> walk-off interview with Katie George from ESPN. So Kevin Durant, he didn't have the greatest game. He was like 7 of 20 from the field, 22 points. And he goes over to do the interview. And in the interview, he basically trolls Charles Barkley and Stephen A. Smith and Kendrick Perkins and anybody who questioned his leadership. And I, I'm kind of loath to bring that story up because – it's like a week old. Uh, Barkley did it during the All-Star game on the alternate broadcast for TNT. He was talking about, you know, Durant being a follower and not a leader, et cetera, et cetera. And, but Durant said in a, like a minute and 20 second interview, said leaders or leadership or lead seven times. And uh, what happened in that fourth quarter when you guys were able to hold off the, the charge? Uh, leadership helped the ball go in the rim. We had great leaders, really leading. He had a talking point. He, the look on his face, you know what it reminded me of, guys? It reminded me of the look on his face. Do you remember a couple of years ago when he was captain of the All-Star team? Oh, yes. Pick, when he was picking the teams. And James Harden had... Just forced his way out. He had just forced his way out to Philadelphia. He had already actually been traded, right? Mm -hmm. So... 
and he's I'm, keeps, I'm not sure that the the private jet had even landed by okay, this point. I think they might be right. <laughs> uh where Daryl Morey met him on the tarmac with it with a shirt, right? <laughs> that like had him like in a Christ basketball Jesus or something. Or something. Yeah, that's yes. right. <laughs> All right. That's another story for another day. But you remember Durant like refused to pick Harden? Mm-hmm. And like he was again trolling him, like going, Yeah, you know, we really need size in this game. Uh, I'm gonna pick Rudy Gobert. <laughs> and he kept picking like big men. He had like four centers. And LeBron was on was the other guy picking, and LeBron knew what he was doing, and he kept not picking Harden too to try to force it into Durant. Uh, he might have been auditioned to be the Pistons general manager. You don't know. <laughs> right. Good line. So and like LeBron at one point, like just he had to cover his face with the clipboard because he was laughing so hard. Durant had this like stoic, right? Stoic, but yet sarcastic look on his face. He had the exact same look on his face during this interview. That's acting. Yeah, it's right. Acting. He's, he's he's made a movie before. Yeah. Thunderstruck. Never seen it. I can't say I've seen it either. <laughs> I did. Sure it was, it's about it, it's about what you expect. I mean, okay. If if you're 11 years old or or have similar maturity, it's enjoyable. Better like than Space it. Jam too. <laughs> it's uh, it, it's it's on on that level. <laughs> Space Jam Two was called a New Legacy. It wasn't called Space Jam. 2. Anyway, uh, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I got that wrong. You know, look, that's the thing about Durant. Like he. The reason people keep saying this about him is because they know they can get to him. You know, like the other day he was coming out on the court in Phoenix or no, it was on the road. It was in Dallas. That was in, in Dallas, Dallas, actually. Yeah. What, what happened there, McMahon? So he's coming out on the court and he, he, he hears a lady call him a B and he turns around and basically approached. It was this lady and her male friend and you know, they're like middle-aged people. And he basically was like, why'd you say that? Yeah. And and he had a conversation with him and and he broke off the conversation when he when the guy's like, You well, you really want to know? And the guy was launching into what was going to be a long story that started out with, Well, I host this podcast on sports. <laughs> and Katie oh had God. heard enough at that point. He turned around, but he He's made probably, sure listen, they, he probably listened to that podcast. He made sure they did not get kicked out. But look, KD has well, real quick, rabbit ears. He, no, he does. Yeah, of course. They they called him a name or whatever, and he came over. And as soon as Durant got near them, the guy, wa- I think it was the guy, wanted a high five. No, the, no, the, the, the lady wanted a high five. Oh, okay. He's okay. like, no, no, no. You don't call me that and get a high five. That's yeah, not how this very works. Strange. But it's that's like, you know, I, I, give him credit, I give him credit for asking the question, like not going nuclear. And he had every reason to go nuclear on them. Well, listen, and that's but, the thing about KD. If you want to criticize him, just be prepared. He'll challenge you on it, whether yeah. you're some anonymous Yahoo on Twitter yeah. or the you know biggest name in NBA basketball media. Like he's going to push back. He's going to challenge you on that. Um, and you know if you if you want to explain your position, he he's gonna you know push you to have a, a legitimate explanation. And like the leadership thing. Leadership is a very easy thing to rip because it's an impossible thing to prove um, unless it's a situation where you are the lone star on a championship team, which obviously Kevin Durant has never been, right? But I don't know, man. Like, unless you're in that – look, I I just had a piddly college career, right? But 
You're right, Tim. Like, unless you're in that locker room, like, how do you know? Right, and that's that's like, what like, are there, that's what are there players on the team? Is like book calling Charles Barkley, like, man, he, this dude ain't no leader. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, how well, do look. you? And this is respectful <laughs> to my colleagues, but how do you quantify leadership if you're not in the room? Well, well would he have been you. a better leader if his if his foot was a half inch further back in that you know game right. seven buzzer beater? I will say, if you're looking and you, if anybody has listened to me ever, I feel like I am a, as staunch of a Kevin Durant defender as there is, because I don't think he owes anybody any apology for the mm. for the titles with the Golden State. Mm. I feel like they don't. Maybe maybe they win one, but they don't win both of those without him. And when he left, granted they were dealing with Clay's injury, but when he left, like they went into a two-year tailspin. So I don't, I just don't stand for anybody taking it away from that championship. But there is something to be said for him going to Brooklyn with Kyrie Irving. That wasn't yeah. a which Rich Kleiman called lead. him out about oddly. Right, the, it wasn't a leadership project. move. Well, I, Rich yeah. Kleiman wanted to go to the Knicks. Yeah. Well, it was oh, a move a that blew up in his face, and it's a move that like he's recovered. Well, from. let's not act like the Knicks was the amazing choice at the time. You no, know, um, no. It, it, yeah. it was it was the. the but if you're this, but, but if you're going to go to New York, special. you got that's the spot, right? Like if you're going to well, go to New York, go to New York. Well, and it was about pairing with Kyrie Irving. That's what yeah. he wanted to do. It blew up in and the in, Knicks. The Knicks didn't Katie's want face. Kyrie. Oh please! I don't buy that. The, the Knicks absolutely would have signed they both want, of those they, guys. They, they, they had wanted, taken DeAndre. They, they wanted too. Kemba Walker at the time. Okay, oh, man. They wanted Durant. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The Knicks. The Knicks would have done every single thing that the Nets did. And look, no, I know, but I mean, but they they weren't enamored. Okay. Well, well I, look, I, mean, I don't want to relitigate that. I, I'm just. I, I, Telling you, I am the, saying, and I didn't listen to the whole. I didn't say that that was a smart move. I'm just telling you what they were telling me at the time. They, but the thing that I don't know, Kevin didn't go visit. He didn't talk to him, right? Yeah, but regardless of whether or not he 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 chose over the Knicks or whatever, the idea that he would go with Kyrie, sort of right. like where yeah. Kyrie selected. If you're looking to criticize him for leadership, that's where you'd start. And his case defending that is tough, however you want to define it. Um, mm -hmm. So I feel like I can defend him whatever you want to say about his Golden State yeah. tenure. It's a little bit harder to defend him on the leadership thing after he kind of followed there at the risk of putting myself in the same spot as, uh, as Barkley. That said, that situation could have worked out. I guess it, I'm looking at leadership a different way. I'm right. Are, are we talking about leading a team or well, look, that's a, well, that's why it's a difficult thing. Yeah, but that is that's a tough thing. As somebody who's a staunch Durant defender, that's a tough one. I I have a difficulty on that one. I really there's not much I can say about that. Well, and yeah. and the other thing, like KD is always going to have somewhat of a PR, you know, stain. I guess you could say, because not because he left Oklahoma City, but because he left Oklahoma City to join a team that had won a championship that was coming off a 73 win season. He's he's there's always going to be a perception that he's kind of a, a, a bandwagon hopper and that he man, that Warriors you know, move was brilliant. Well, it was. And, <laughs> I and people are people who, who like thought that he ran from OKC. 
listen, man, if you're a, if you're a superstar that gives a franchise nine years, nine years is an eternity Here's the in thing, the man. NBA. I, I hate relitigating all this. I hate it. Who's to say that the Warriors even beat the Thunder the next year? They barely beat them that year. It took game yeah. six, Clay. All right. Well, if KD was a better leader in game six and seven, they wouldn't have. That's what <laughs> I'm just kidding, but that's well, the whatever. Argument. I'm just saying, though, that like, first off, God, I hate this. The 2017 Cavs were freaking awesome. Yeah, they lost 4 1. They lost 4 1 because Durant was the MVP of the finals and they added an MVP to a team that already had a multiple time MVP. They were damn good, too, man. Like, oh, I agree. And of course, scary. they were good. They won 73 games. Golly, they're scary. But, but, but how can you? How well, can you it, even guarantee they would have beaten the Thunder if Durant had stayed put? The Thunder would have added to that roster. And you know what? At a certain point, we're sitting here arguing about how good of a leader a guy who is currently the ninth leading scorer of all time in a two-time finals MVP. When his career ends, Kevin Durant's going to be a top five scorer. And wow. say what you want about how he got on the team or whatever. He was a, he's a two-time finals MVP who's going to score 30,000-some-odd points in his NBA career. I don't know, man. We can talk about leadership all we want. Yeah. Give me give me that guy. I know. You know give you me know that what? guy. Hey, hey, man, that, I, told, I, told, I told Kevin his biggest problem is he makes scoring look too easy, and it, it doesn't get respected. He, there's no way – the only person that can stop him from scoring is him, and he just he scores in a beautiful way. It's, it's, it's just effortless. He could close his eyes and score, and he's doing this at six eleven or whatever, not ten, whatever he is. He, watching him next to Steph, it, it it takes a lot to see somebody that's as beautiful a scorer as Stephen Curry on a nightly basis, and he he was just as as beautiful a scorer as Steph. And I I just think that his ability to just dominate offensively doesn't get enough respect because he just makes it too damn easy. Well. Be that all as it may, and the leadership stuff aside, the Suns are fifty plus games into this now, and 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 you know the the, the Royce O'Neal trade is already bearing fruit. Some of their roster changes that they've had are helping them. Looking at what they've got ahead of them and what what they're able to do, and I've been a believer in this team since since the Beal trade, even though I didn't exactly love that that was the decision. Uh, I thought maybe they could have done maybe something else with those assets, but. I understand why they went for Beal. I, I get the what their what their concept was. It doesn't appear to me that this is a team that can really do huge a huge run the way they're constructed. They they're heavily reliant on all three guys being healthy, and they just haven't been. Um, they're heavily reliant on guys who have very little time playing together or on minimum contracts. You know, Bull Bull played a very good game. Uh, on Sunday as well. How can you possibly count on Bull Bull? An even better yeah. game in Houston when they lost uh, the other night. But yeah, it's it's three stars, one of whom has rarely been healthy this year, Grayson Allen, and then a bunch of pieces where you're hoping, well, you know, can we, can we get something here? Can we get something there? You and know, then come playoff time, you're going to want to shorten that lineup, but you can't. <laughs> they need – it's it, it, here's the Suns' chance to make a deep run. Devin Booker and Kevin Durant can put on their capes four times in a series, a few different series in a row. That like that's it boils down to that. Because honestly, I hate to say it, at this point, they just cannot count on Bradley Beal. Okay, so 
They might have to do that with, with that schedule I just said. They might have to do that in the 9-10 game. Yeah. And then, <laughs> in, you know, whoever they play. I mean, seriously, they're 24 hours ago, they were in the play-in. As I we just, speak, they're in the play-in. Oh, right. They're in the play-in. So, oh, no, I'm sorry. You're right. They, no, they, they, they moved out of, out of it. it. They moved up yeah. out of it. But unless they build up a lead or, you know, achieve incredible an incredible streak, they're going to take some losses towards the end there. I don't see how they're yeah. going to keep up. So, like you, like, you are making a case, and I agree. Like, Booker and Durant could get super hot. Beal could come back and they could get hot. But they might have to win two play-in games with yeah. LeBron and Steph hanging out there possibly in the pit play-in. Maybe not, but possibly. And then go in to a situation where they're without home court advantage, where they're relying on guys. Like, I just – but well, they're certainly going to have to start the playoffs on the road, regardless. That's and not again, a question. It's, it's it's tough because they've got, and that's what like if if Bradley Beal's not healthy, they just don't have any any chance because yeah. it took absolute brilliance from Booker and KD to for them to win two games in that series against the Nuggets, and you just it's not possible for those guys to play 44 minutes at the highest level over and over and over and over again in the intensity of a playoff series against that kind of competition. Has it, has it gotten to the point now with Bradley where you just basically like, look, man, we're going to give you three weeks. Just get healthy for the long, for the stretch. Like you want to, cause it just seems like it's one thing after another, after another, after another, the ankle, the hamstring, the nose. Well, he keeps re-aggravating yeah. issues that he can't. Like, you know, like the back. I think he had three back, different bouts yeah. with the back. So that, that's what I'm saying. Like, should you just basically, like, shut him down to mid-March? Maybe be overly cautious on him in the hopes that he could play going forward instead of trying to push him out there now and then boom, boom, boom. Which Maybe, but this is the problem with where they're at. and There's not and, a lot of room for error. Right. You know, not a lot of room for air and and not a lot of time to develop chemistry. Yeah. yeah. No. The season is so long. The season is so long. There's there's so much grace period that you have that you can recover. So I'm just I'm definitely not totally ruling it out, but I just I was more optimistic about this team at the start because I just thought that they would just be incredibly impossible to deal with on offense and They've had moments, but there's just it's been scattershot. And yeah, because they haven't had those three guys. If, I know when they have those three guys on the floor, they are almost impossible to guard. Yeah. And Bradley used to be an Iron Man guy. I mean, uh, there was a stretch where he, you know, played 77 games, 82 games, 82 games. And then ever since then, it's been dipping, 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 dipping. You know, 50 last season, 40 year before. Uh, he ain't an old old guy. I mean, he's thirty years old, right? So let's no, not... of course, yeah. But no, he he definitely uh, you know needs to get in that ice chamber or do whatever he needs to do. Because I'm as great as those two guys are, man. The West is just too good. They're gonna need that trio to be amazing. I think in order to um, to do something special in the postseason. Well, in, in the short term, they did get a nice one over the Lakers. Um... Yeah. Uh, and they are off until Thursday, I believe. So three more days to see if Beal can recover a little bit and try to get back. So I don't know. Um, I was I was reading coverage out of the Lakers locker room. Sounded like those refs got a win over the Lakers. Those refs <laughs> did, did the Lakers dirty, man. The refs always cheating the Lakers. I tell Lakers, you. Man. The Lakers only had eight free throws in this game. Wow. And LeBron after the game was 
you know, he obviously thought that he didn't get a friendly whistle. He talked about how he got hit a few times and didn't get to the line. And he talked about the narrative that the Lakers, all they do is get, is you know, they get all the calls. And the reason that narrative is out there is because the Lakers have the largest free throw differential in their favor by a lot this season. Like the other reason over- the narrative's out there is because almost everybody in the league believes it. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. That part, right. I will say this again, like with earlier when I said with Durant, like it's hard for me to explain the, you know, defending on the leadership thing when he when he went to Brooklyn. When you talk about the Lakers and favoritism, yes, there's a bunch of different times when the league either actively or passively kicks the ball into the fairway for the Lakers. But if I were def- if I were defending I like that analogy, Wendy would know I, about that. If yeah. I if I were defending the Lakers on this, I would say the vetoed Chris Paul trade kind of gives them cover. I don't know. Is is it is it? It's been more than a decade. Yeah, it's been, it's a been while. twelve years. But that was a well. Is it the Lakers or is it LeBron or is it both? Well, Jackson's adding to the course here. Season low for the Lakers in free throw attempts, tying the fewest attempts in any game for the team since LeBron joined the franchise. Oh, I hear the violin music now. Why well, no? I'm just saying, like, not to <laughs> Mac not Ten to seeds off. leading the orchestra. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, I don't. There was nobody in the Lakers media corps that was objecting to LeBron's position. Oh, oh no, no. <laughs> I'm just saying though, like, that's a that's a tough thing to overcome the chris paul veto trade okay. it's it's kind of like you're, you're I, digging in the crates there man you're, 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 well it's kind of like out a very dusty record all <laughs> all <laughs> lottery conspiracy theories died on one night i don't want to hear it ever again i won't even listen to three three syllables on the night when the knicks and the lakers were in the final four when Zion and Ja Morant were in the lottery, which instantaneously would have turned the tables of both franchises. Now, as it turned out, the Lakers ended up trading for Anthony Davis when they moved up in the top four. But Lakers, Knicks, who had not been in the playoffs for years, Grizzlies, Pelicans. It went to break, okay? The Pelicans and the Grizzlies got one too. And, you know, with all due respect to R.J. Barrett, the whole world knew that the drop-off was after the second pick. Okay, so I'm sorry. After that happens, I mean, not that I believed it in the past, but after that happens, there is no more talking about a lot of. Well, what about the Spurs getting number one? What's the conspiracy? Come on, man. (laughs) They're going to make sure they're they're making sure that Wimby went to the right franchise. Mm -hmm. Did he? Did he? Pop. What what, what, what other choices? Charlotte. Keep going. What other? Well, there was a lot of teams in the lottery. There's a lot of teams in the lottery. Listen, come on. The ones Wimby has been phenomenal his rookie year. Uh, the franchise has not had such a shining season, to say the least. Well, well, I'm asking you, what are, what would other franchises top four? More Hoop Collective podcast after this. All right, you guys, during the break, you looked up the lottery odds last season. Go ahead and give them to me, McMahon. I'll just give you the teams that finished top five. The, the Pistons stumbled from one to five. Obviously, the Spurs won it, Hornets two, mm-hmm. Blazers three, mm-hmm. Rockets four. Mm-hmm. You can, Listen, Spears, you could argue that the perception was that the Spurs were the best destination. For argue? 
There's certainly there. Wendy, you were you were you what were there number, for your... what, what was what was the challenger? Eh, okay. I said argue. Um <laughs> Wendy, you were there for your 60 seconds of French glory on the uh on live. I think it night. was like I think it was like 73, sir. Okay. Well, listen, you know that Wendy, I mean, you saw you witnessed in person his excitement at yeah. him landing in San Antonio. He never looked nervous, did he, Brian? <laughs> did he no, look they nervous? Were nervous? They were nervous. I mean, listen, Chicago is in the draft lottery. They, the Thunder were, you know, I mean. Yeah, but okay, here's the thing. The Mavericks were. First off, I already said all conspiracy theories died on that night. So I won't entertain this. But the NBA is not rigging the one of the three smallest markets to get one of the the biggest name players. I'm sorry. I mean, David Stern once said. David Stern. They David brought, Stern. they made Vic, sure that Victor went to the safest place. You're crazy, well, man. all I'm going to say on, is man. this. Come on, Spears. I walked into that fame. room in Chicago and I'm like, he's going to San Antonio. I don't know why we're wasting our time. Okay. That's, that's fine and dandy. But if the idea was to put Wimby in a situation where it was going to be just smooth sailing, it's been a miserable failure. Wimby has been awesome and the Spurs have been awful. I understand. And that. I tell you what, but Wimby, there's a foundation there. There's a coach there. I am. Listen, man, there's a coach with the Dallas Cowboys for a long time. put him in Charlotte. There was frozen ping pong balls in that room. Oh, come on, man. Uh, (laughs) I reject all of it. I don't don't think Pop has covered himself in glory this year. That's all I'm going to say about that. I don't think Pop's had a very good year. To that point, Victor, he's been flirting with this for a while. He finally had, um, I think it was on Friday, he had the five by five game. Points, rebounds, assists, blocks, and steals. Was it blocks and steals for him? Yeah. Yep. Uh, against the Lakers. Um, I was at the sack game the day before. Yeah. So he, so he had back-to-back. Uh, what was it? He had back-to-back. Back-to-back five-block, five-steals five game. And he was the right. first to do five, five that part game. of it since Michael Jordan way back when. And that kind of piqued his curiosity. Yeah. So after the game, he was getting asked about the first player to do that in back-to-back games since 1987 with Jordan. And Victor said instantaneously, um, did Jordan win those games? And because the Spurs had lost the games that he did it in. And he heard, yeah, Jordan did win those games. And Victor said, well, maybe someday they can, I can do this in wins. And hmm. that's the thing. Like the Spurs are not really improving. He's improving. Yep. He's getting better by the month. Is he, is, is he a defensive player to your candidate? Dude, I had somebody with another front office tell me they think he can be the best. Oh, you're talking about now? No, the Spurs, you can't be a defense player of the year or a candidate on a team that's that bad. But I did have somebody in the front office tell me. Those steel numbers are pretty crazy, though. I know, but you can't be on a team that's that bad. He's he's an all-defensive team. I had somebody with another front office tell me they think he's going to be the best defensive player of all time. And very confidently declare that. And... That's in addition to the fact that this guy's got unlimited potential offensively. But I don't know. I, so, look, Wendy, you you know Victor uh, a little bit. I I don't have any kind of personal relationship with the guy. So this is, just, but that that quote kind of made my eyebrows shoot up because what I do know about him is he's extremely intelligent and he's very intentional. And I kind of read that quote as him saying, "We need to be winning some." And I, I read it as kind of a a nudge to the franchise of, hey, 
we need to be we need to be moving forward in the uh wins and losses department sooner than later because this has not been any fun for Victor despite the fact that he's doing some historical things as a rookie being part of the worst team in the Western Conference in, in, they need to fast track this thing they've got cap space this summer they've got extra picks they don't have infinite time to build around this guy they need to make sure that this thing's moving 19 it's 20 <laughs> it's been 20 for seven weeks I don't care who you are when you draft a prodigy just like the yeah. Mavericks Luca you are on the clock as soon as the pick is submitted right and obviously he's he's going to get into a second contract but you can't you have to build a contender around that kind of prodigy yeah and you have to take you have to you have to take significant steps and when when do you you often go back and compare to LeBron just because look I mean when you talk about this kind of talent they're not the same player obviously but this kind of talent they only come along once every 20 years or so LeBron's Cavaliers got off to a terrible start but they were a 37 win team his rookie year and then you know they're a playoff team very soon thereafter his, four, his fourth year they made the finals yeah I, I'm just saying with now this you can argue kind of, that they that they maybe shouldn't they didn't do the best build. Yeah. And I mean, if you told Victor his fourth year, he made the finals, he'd be thrilled right now. But if it was a team that then had totally exhausted itself by its by his sixth year or seventh year, I don't know if he would feel that way. And I think that's what the Spurs are trying to do. The Spurs are trying to build something, especially under the current rules, that can last for 10 to 15 years like they did before. But one of the things that intrigued me about Victor when I first learned about him and like I went back and read all kinds of interviews that he gave in French, and the, the you, French you, you media. Read, you could you could read French. Well, I, I translated them. I translated okay, them. he he uh, got his Google. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I translated them. I, I, although I okay, you left that part out. I was going to be impressed. Oui, oui. That, that Ohio uh, education. Yeah, man. no, I no, I don't public I don't education speak. in Ohio. Well, no, he went to private school. No, no, St. Vincent, St. Mary's. Yeah, St. Vincent, St. Mary. Yeah. French oh, one and two class uh, paid dividend. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I translated them. And uh, the, the French media tells me he's a little bit more forthcoming in English than he is in French. Huh. Having said that, as I read a bunch of interviews that he gave as a teenager in French, I learned a lot about him. And the more I, the more I learned about him, the more fascinated I, I was. And I think what helped me more than anything is when Jonathan Gavoni and I went to Paris last year and, and, um, and spent a week we didn't just spend a week with Victor. We spent a week with all of his coaches. I'm talking about his coach when he was eight years old and his coach when he was 11 years old and his coach when he was 14 years old and listening to them talk about how he, his personality was. And I am incredibly interested in, in his personality and he is wired <coughs> to be extremely, he's not competitive, you hear people are competitive. You hear that about a lot of pro athletes. Oh, he was so competitive. Like, you know, if he if he lost a uh, paper, rock, scissors competition in kindergarten, that he would brawl with the kids. That's not what he, Victor was. Victor understood when he was like 12 or 13 years old that he had a chance to be an NBA player. And I'm not saying he had it all figured out, but he operated basically on a daily basis throughout his entire teen years to build towards becoming the number one pick in the draft. 
He had that vision and he executed all the way through it and made a whole bunch of decisions that followed that path. So what you should know about Victor and what the Spurs should know about Victor is that he enters the NBA with the intention to continue that path. He understands they're not going to be in the playoffs necessarily his first year or in the conference finals his second year. But Victor wants to see the team. And the same thing happened when he was, you know, he switched teams twice when mm-hmm. he was, um, he, he, he changed teams when he was 17 to 18. They changed teams when he was 18 to 19 because he didn't believe that the team that he was on was going to help him get to where he wanted to go. And it yeah. wasn't that he went to a teams that like had the best players. Well, the, the, the move from um, Tony Parker's team in Lyon to, to Paris was more about playing time, right? It was about. Because the team in Paris was not good, really. Until, no, they, played, until well, they played in the French League finals yeah. with him. Until he got there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. But I mean, the, the team he was with, Tony Parker's team was good. It wasn't a bad team. No, they were the French League champions. They, they won just, the French he League. Didn't, he, he, didn't like, he didn't like the way he was being used there. Yeah, I mean, that's a longer then story. Then they brought in Cole. But yeah, go ahead. I mean, that's a longer story. Long story but, short, Victor has been preparing himself to be an NBA legend. Not yeah. just to be a number one pick. Not yeah. just to be an all star. He wants to be, he wants to achieve his potential. And I think yeah. anybody with eyeballs understands his potential is legendary. And, the, you know, to, to well, be a last place team in the Western Conference, look, I get you got to be really bad to position yourself to get a guy like him. And they're, they're, the Spurs have done a lot of experimenting this year, yeah. a, a lot of figuring out who might be a fit long term. Who's probably not? There's a, a lot more guys on that second list than on the first. I'm just saying, when you have this kind of a talent, there is a certain level of pressure that comes along with that clock that starts ticking. And it's a, you know, it's it's not a quick clock, but six or seven years happen sooner than you think. Yeah. And Keldon Johnson, I talked to him about him, and he's like, everything about his phone being off at 9:30. True. He told me he was amazed by Victor's just supreme diet. Like the way he just eats in such a, a healthy manner and different shakes that he has and just his his ability to not fall in love with social media. I mean, this is a guy that likes to play chess on his phone after a game. Like what yeah, I did yeah, when I was doing likes that, right? When I was doing the um reporting on him, I would ask his teammates. I also talked to some of his teammates that were not his teammates anymore. In fact, when I mentioned that to him, I did some interviews with guys who were his teammates before his current teammates when that when I got over there. Plus, I talked to guys who were his teammates from like the year or two before. And I checked some of this legend legends, you know, that he goes on these three-hour train rides and reads a book. And I don't remember now, but you know, sleeps for 12 hours a night. And they were like, Yeah, it's true. <laughs> and um Remember when when uh, when I I came over was me or Jonathan that said that to him. We were like, well, you know, we were asking some of your former teammates, and he's like, who'd you ask? He was like very he was like trying to piece together who we asked. But I think the point is is that his reaction his his reaction to the question and the comparison to Jordan was that these statistical accolades should not be a distraction yeah. from what's going on. Mm-hmm. He's okay with them. He's not. He's not giving the cliche answer like individual stats mean nothing if we don't win. What he's basically saying is, is that 
that can't be a substitute. It can't be a celebration of, of me achieving some sort of statistical guideline if the team is not progressing. And the, and the Spurs haven't progressed. And so I would think that I'm not going to – I doubt he would say, well, next year we have to be in the play-in. And the year after that we have to be in the playoffs. And the year after that we have to be in the conference. I don't think he would ever say that. But he definitely will not stand for them yeah. to to spin their wheels. And they have spun their wheels. And I'm not sure that this has been – Victor has gotten absolutely better. And his change of position to straight center and some of the things he's done have been great. And playing a but, point guard with him after half a season of not doing it has been a pretty good idea and like a revolutionary concept. <laughs> you know what I liked about him was that All-Star weekend how he was, uh, took a shot at Anthony Edwards. You know, they, they did uh, a skills challenge and Anthony comes in and shoots the ball left-handed. He was, it, he was I, I mean, I wasn't there and I didn't speak to him. It looked to me like he was simmering with with frustration, anger, rage about how that yeah. went down. Yeah, he's like, a is he's it, a is it the goal to win? Guy. Don't we don't didn't you want to do this to win? Like, and what you know, Anthony did affected him and Ben Carroll. So it's just, I think Wimby almost saw this like this was a waste of my time. Like, if you were going to do that, why am I doing this? Right. So, I, I do think that there's a competitive fire there. Uh, I, I, I kind of sense that the losing is, you know, probably to your Tim, point, Tim, is the, the losing is wearing wearing on him. So it has not been – not that losing is easy for anybody, but I think it's wearing on him. Yeah, that was a very, very interesting answer. We, I could see ours coming back to that one. So there was some pretty significant injury news that hit uh, on Sunday afternoon. The Atlanta Hawks announced that Trey Young was going to have surgery on his fifth finger, which I think is – his pinky? Is that what you would call your fifth finger? Yeah, that's the um, pinky. The fourth is the ring finger. Mm. I, I'm not going to show you the third. Cool. <laughs> not that I you have seen before. I have, yeah, I've seen that before. <laughs> um, so, it, by the way, I don't know if you guys saw the play where it happened. I mean, historically, we've seen guys break their fingers, like getting them caught in uniforms. I mean, it's almost like routinely a freak yeah. injury. He was actually just trying to put his hand in the passing lane. And the ball hit his finger like it was nothing almost um, and just a bad angle and bad luck. Um, just a huge blow to the Hawks, um, you know, long, you know, medium term hopes here. Well, I mean, Hawks, what, well, hold on. What were their hopes? Well, they <laughs> well. They played their way into the to, to the playoffs through the play-in in the last few years, and you know a few years ago they pulled off a couple of upsets. So I'm like, look, okay, I'm not going to see. They'll still probably be a ten seed. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anyway, what my 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 point is, they said it was going to be reevaluated in four weeks. Mm. Didn't say he'd be back in four weeks. Mm -mm. Yeah. So that, that sounds know, done. It sounds like it could be, if not season ending, very close to season ending, at least regular I, season ending. Listen. Could could that have been Trey Young's last game in a Hawks uniform? Okay. It, does, it doesn't take a, a great leap to get to there. All right. So here's what I'll say about this. Over the next six weeks that are about what's left in the NBA season, the Hawks are going to play with a different lineup, obviously, without Trey Young. Yeah. And we're going to see DeJounte Murray 
probably become the dominant ball handler, a guy who was very loudly on the trade market for two months and not traded. And we are going to see what happens when they play with Murray as the point guard or as the lead guard. And this could be a very fascinating, it could, by the way, be terrible. It could be inconclusive. But how the Hawks play without Trey Young when there's a possibility of his future being elsewhere than Atlanta is going to be relevant. I'm telling you, people in the league are going to be paying attention to this. The first game does not matter. However, in the first game on Sunday, they blasted the Orlando Magic, and DeJounte Murray had a brilliant game, almost had a triple-double. So let's keep an eye on this. And here's the thing about Trey Young. Trey Young was trending towards having a real shot to making All-NBA. Now, I wouldn't say that he was make it because he had proven that he was one of the six best guards in the league. But we have positions. some... There's no positions, number one, in, in All-NBA this year. Plus, there's a 65-game rule. Yeah. And there was going to be some guards that were just not going to qualify, including... Jamal Murray, he's not going to qualify. We're just talking about. He was, if he makes All-NBA, he would have been eligible to get the Supermax. Mm -hmm. And that's why this is interesting. Because as the Hawks were figuring out what they were going to do with Trey Young, and I shouldn't say that. Let me take that back. I don't think that they were figuring out. When the Hawks were looking at their future, had Trey Young made All-NBA this year, is Trey Young somebody you give a $300 million contract to? I think they were heading for an interesting decision there if Trey Young had made All-NBA. So he can still wait, I think, another year. Um, but he is extension eligible this summer. And so I think there was a there was a, a bit of a I think there was a bit of a question about. Which I don't. I don't want to put this. Out. I don't want to make any assum- Any. I don't want to make it sound like I. Ha- I know how the Hawks are thinking. Okay, but you don't have to be a genius to realize that if you're looking at extending Trey Young to the tune of two hundred some odd million, or if he had made the supermax three hundred some odd million, that you really needed to make some big decisions about your roster, including whether DeJounte Murray stays or goes and whether it's the signings that you make. And so you could probably talk to seven or eight different people within the Hawks organization and get seven or eight different answers about the way they thought it would go. And now they get a look at the team without Trey Young. That's the point I'm making. Well, and there, there was already a sense around the league that Trey Young was not going to be untouchable in trade talks this summer. Now, there's a... There's a big difference between not being untouchable and being shopped. I mean, there, there's a big difference there. We're going to get aggregated. I'm just, I can see the aggregation well, right now. Right. I mean, but this is stuff that. I mean, it, it does seem like DeJounte Murray was definitely getting the most interest. This is stuff that's been reported as well by, yeah. by other people. I mean, but the Hawks have major, major roster decisions to make. This is a yeah. team that made a big time 
all in win now trade for DeJounte Murray and is farting around in the 10th seed right now. Like it doesn't take after any, being in the play in the last two years, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that, that things are going to be, uh, you know, the Hawks are going to look to, to shake things up significantly. And, and, well, but why didn't they do it at the break? Like they clearly didn't they, like the offers that they, were on the table. For find, Murray. Yeah. They couldn't find a deal. They liked and like, look, yeah. like, they he was like number one guy on the list. I kept hearing is gone, you know. Well, like, but like you look at a team, just for example, you look at a team who are they talking? Who, who's everybody looking at? The Lakers. The Lakers yeah. have one pick to trade. Well, what happens this summer? The Lakers have three picks to trade. Suddenly, those conversations can, can get a lot easier. And, and listen, yeah. the Lakers might say, you know what. That's that's steep for DeJounte Murray, but hey, that clutch client who has a bunch of 30-point, 10-assist games all the time and really stretches the floor and is one of the best passers in the league, how about that guy? Yeah. Just for example. Who just you know, built a home in L.A. A team like the San Antonio Spurs that still has some, some significant Hawks draft capital from the DeJounte Murray trade, they might be in the market for one of the best lob passers and a guy who stretches the floor, a, a, a pick and roll genius. Um, now, <laughs> I don't know if getting Trey Young's going to be the solution to fix the, the Spurs defense. You think they but, should you know, move both of them? I, I I think the Hawks should go into the summer open to any and all possibilities. Uh, that I will say. And I think I would the, just watch how DeJounte Murray plays for the next six weeks. Yes, and I think that the Spurs, if if the Spurs had interest in in Trey Young, I think that would be very interesting because I think if the Hawks are going to go into a rebuild around Dejounte Murray route, then their own picks would be of extreme value to them. Well, I don't know if they want to rebuild. I don't think they hired Quinn Snyder to rebuild. I don't know but, if they have a whole lot of choice. Well, I think that they could potentially retool. They could, you know, restructure the roster. And that may not include Trey Young at all. That may Trey Young may, may stay may stay there, but you know there are Hawks players who have been available, and I think I think the idea of trading Trey Young has it's not the first time it would be it would been thought of in Atlanta, and so right. um, I think their their standard would be very very high. I don't think he's on the market. Call and make your best offer, um, but I do think is, like is the is the owner's son going to trade him though? Uh, and is it, I, ain't, 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 ain't that his guy? Well, you know it is interesting. Like, I, yeah. It's it's my understanding that assurances have been given that Landry Fields is the person who's getting to make those decisions. I know that that was an issue with the DeJounte Murray trade um, that Travis Schlank did not, the previous general manager did not, was not in favor of that trade and basically didn't do the negotiation. And that led to him eventually leaving midway through the season. But um, I have been told and assured that that is no longer the case, that um, Landry is in complete and total control. Obviously Tony Ressler, the owner gets to sign off on all that stuff, mm -hmm. but, um, I could, those words could be proven not correct down the line, but that is not the way it's been described to me that if anything, Landry is, 
uh, more solidified, even though this has been a bit of a disappointing season that Landry is more solidified than he was at the start. So, and Landry is a very smart guy. He's young still. There's people his age still playing in the NBA. Some of them are going to make the all NBA team. Um, but uh, he, you know, but you know, the thing about it is, is Landry came from the Spurs organization since he arrived They've already made one massive trade with the Spurs, which was for DeJounte Murray. And so just like I would say that any Brooklyn Nets trade of any significant swap would probably involve calls to the Houston Rockets because the Rockets have all the Nets draft assets. I would say any time there's a potential significant trade for the Hawks that you'd consider the Spurs as a possible trading partner because they have all this, the stuff. And that's just just the nature of the beast. So um, it's it's very unfortunate for Trey because it was a freak injury. And, um, you know, you might be right, McMahon. It may not really affect the outcome of the Hawks. There's a a gulf between 10th and the the 11th seed. But um, certainly is potentially a very perspective-changing development. Is that politically correct enough? To say. For sure. And there's a gulf between them and the 11th seed, who right now is the Brooklyn Nets that, uh, whew, you want to talk about a franchise that's in rough shape. Then we, we've done that. We've talked about the Nets. So, look, maybe Trey yeah, comes ben back. Ben Simmons is out with more issues as well. Maybe Trey comes back. Maybe he leads them to a couple of play-in wins and they pull off some the biggest upset of all time in the first round. But mm. likely it's going to be it has been and will continue to be a disappointing season for the Hawks. And they're going to have some major, major decisions to be made. Should they be listening to uh, inquiries on Trey Young? I think they will find significant interest and uh, just going to be an interesting summer. Yeah. You know, and I'm looking at the Hawks where they are in the standings and thinking Brooklyn could fix some things to, to, oh. to get up there. Uh, the Spears don't do that. Well, don't well, that. I, I think the Hawks are going to help them, you know, because I, I think the Hawks are going to drop down as well. Um, Brandon Un- Miller, unless they get to play the Hawks fifteen times the rest of the season, the yeah. Nets aren't going to be in the play-in. <laughs> now, I talked to Brandon Miller the other day. He said he hasn't given up on the playoffs yet. He's still working on it. Hey, Holy. They're ten out. <laughs> does he does he have a fantasy team? What is he talking about? Uh, hey. I mean, seriously, hey man, rookie, well, who's he rookie got on his fantasy team? Man, rookie they're, enthusiasm. They're, they split their last ten. They split okay, their last great. 10. Did, you, did you hear that 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 statement, McMahon? He hasn't given up on the playoffs yet. They're ten out <laughs> of the of the last <laughs> of the ten spot. spot. <laughs> right. Listen, I know he was only in Alabama for baby. for one year. I don't think he took any math classes while he was there. If he thinks the plan, well, the listen, are a possibility. I, I respect the fight. I, you know, and by the way, the Hornets are winning. They won again um, on Sunday in Portland. So. Hey, man, you know, <laughs> where? When's, when's, when's uh, in Portland? I know. When ball guess. coming back? Isn't he coming back soon? Oh, here we, Jesus, here we go. They're ten out. <laughs> listen, all Grant Williams does is Charlotte's win, baby. Oh man, leave him alone. I've just stated a fact. Yeah, well, I will say this. Like, the Hornets racking up wins, it hasn't happened in a long time. So, you know, say what you want. But 
that's uh, that is an interesting development. Also, by the way, Pittsburgh, that's that reminds man. me. That reminds me of a funny Pittsburgh thing. Today. Um, somebody after the Mavs win the other day, I think it was after they beat the Suns. Somebody asked PJ Washington, uh, "Was this like a, a a playoff atmosphere?" And PJ's answer was something along the lines of, "I wouldn't know. <laughs> I've never <laughs> yeah. been in the playoffs." <laughs> I appreciate the honesty from him. Yeah. Um. All right. Thank you for watching, listening to the Hoop Collective podcast. Thank you to uh, Mr. Spears. Thank you to Mr. McMahon. Thank you to Jackson, our producer. And thank you for watching and listening. We will talk to you later this week. And we'll have an answer on uh, libations. I'm going to go crack open a nice cold cerveza. Oh, now, now you're going to do it. <laughs> Off the clock, baby. <laughs>